Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. We're continuing our theme on the church, and uh, we've spoken about how that uh, uh, last week, if you, if you weren't here last week, this is a, this is a, uh, what is it? It's a bowl. <laughs> it's a bowl with water in and tea bags. And no, we're not going to drink it, but the idea is, some of you thought, wait, was he going to have tea for communion? You know, that'd be a miracle, tea into wine, right, or in the grape juice, whatever. But, um, so we spoke about how that there's a difference between an organism and an organization. And an organization, and we're going to mention it a little bit today, an organization, the church is an organization. An organization in which there is structure, there is service, there's a time. We, we don't have an official outline for our service you know, such as in a bulletin or so on. But we do have a structure. We have an idea of what that structure is and the way it's going to be presented and what flows from, next, from one thing to the next. So there is a board and there is a constitution and bylaws. There are all these things that add structure. But also the church is an organism, that which is alive and active. And that which, you know, even like in the body, how that the cells feed off of each other and that, that there's supplying of strength one to another from, you know, the air that we breathe gets the oxygen to every cell. You know, it's there. So it, it, we all have a way of touching each other's lives. And the idea was, if you were, and everyone had a tea bag, and you brought the tea bag up and you placed it in the water. And, and I left it there for the purpose of letting us know that by now the strength of all of the tea that is in the bag this is probably in the water and what was one strength is now in the other tea bags and what was in one tea bag is now had a way of working its way into the others so too with the body of christ that being here we know that we don't get to heaven by osmosis we know that we don't get to heaven by rubbing shoulders with someone we know that it is by, by the grace of Jesus Christ and being born again, being saved, uh, forgiveness of sins. But we also know that we have an effect upon others. And being here has an effect upon the body, the rest of the people here. So everyone here has a way of affecting others, even if we don't directly touch them, see them, shake hands with them or whatever. Just as the tea bag has a way of giving the strength to the water and then giving strength to the, to the other bags in the bowl, so too that one bag gets the ability to touch another bag. One old bag to another. <laughs> Speak for myself, okay. Uh, <laughs> but you get the idea, right? So you have a way of touching people's lives. You have a way of affecting one another. And so too an organism, an organization. An organization in which people are not connected, that's not real. I mean, you know, you can have organizations like that and they bicker and fight and who's going to do what and what. But an organism is that which supplies life and strength. And the strength flows from it. And we find today in our study, that we're in our message, on our study on this particular scripture, we're going to find out what and where this all comes from. So Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Because, excuse me, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it or will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in earth. I can't read this morning. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone about that he was the Christ. So the church, as uh, we have spoken in, is, is, is a subject that uh, we have kind of illustrated here with the tea bags and how that we have placed it in and placed them in this bottle in this uh, water in this bowl. And we find that, as we said, the church is an organization. The church is an organism, that which is alive, and that which has its has its experience in spreading its strength one to another. Well. Jesus says that the foundation in this scripture, we interpret this scripture as being that Jesus becomes the foundation of the church. That Jesus is the foundation of the church. The rock on which Jesus would build his church is the truth that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this has been identified as uh, Jesus himself, the work of salvation, dying on the cross, as we celebrated today in the communion service, that... um, the, the coming of Jesus Christ, his, his life, his death, you know, whenever he was there at um, the Last Supper and uh, spoke to the disciples and spoke to them about the body and the bread, that uh, being the bread and the cup being the wine, that Jesus himself is the work of salvation dying on the cross. Peter would be the first great leader of, of, of the church at Jerusalem. And the confession of faith that Peter had given was that all subsequent truths will be built upon this, this principle of which Jesus Christ has come to reveal. Peter revealed the truth about Christ. The church is the gathering together of those who have a common experience. Jesus as our Savior. So as we put all this together, we begin to understand about the principles that, that God has given us for our life and for our church as an, as an organization, but also as an organism. The church is gathering together around a common experience that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Uh, We have a common purpose, and that purpose is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, spread the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We can't go around the world and preach it, but we support in our missions projects, in our missionary giving, we support ministries and missionaries in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. We share a common value and the greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. To know Jesus Christ, this is the great commission. This is the great uh, foundational principle of our life, that God loves us. We spoke about that last week, and that what is the great, <laughs> what is the great foundational principle that the church is based on is found in a, little, in a children's course. 
Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. The foundational principle, the beginning, the very principle upon which our life is built is built upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. The knowledge that God, He is alive and He is active in our midst, that God is interested in by great, we've been captured by His grace and we have been um, touched by His Spirit and we have allowed the blessing of God that is in our life to touch the, uh, touch the lives of those around us. Whether it's just in a handshake or in a greeting, whether it's in a phone call or whether it's in a prayer, we find that we are in connection with one another. So, we know that the problem that arose in the early church or, or came to be known in the church was that the church be, began to be represented as a building and that people would gather at church. And the true understanding of church is the body of believers, that we as individuals are, make up the church. And what I was uh, looking at for today, there are seven principles that the seven ideas that are given in the scriptures about the church and what the church looks like, what the church is uh, most known for. And I think most of the time we think of it in, in the context of the body. Okay, there are seven. And the first of these is the body. And um, we, we see the body of Christ and it emphasizes that um, the need for every member to be a part of the body, to be involved with every other member. It's just as your body cannot function without other parts of the body, that it, that it must be together. And so, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members that are one body, being many, so is Christ. Paul later states, now you are the body of Christ, members individually. We need all parts of the body to function. And that we cannot say that the, hand is, the right hand is better than the left hand, unless you're right-handed. Uh, unless you're left-handed. And but you see, the idea is that no matter what part of the body we like to kind of isolate, we can't. You know, if you um, stub your toe, you can't walk right. <laughs> you know, if, you, if one part of your body hurts, the rest of your body hurts. If you have a backache, <laughs> sometimes you creak. <laughs> and sometimes you don't. <laughs> I was in Sunday school that one was moving around but they also was moving their glasses case at the same time it's like my gosh was that your back or what so when the body hurts if you're out in, in the yard and working and your body hurts you feel it the next day so so to the body of Christ when one member hurts we have an effect upon it has an effect upon all members and and that's why even whenever we were praying today that wanting to pray one for another, the importance, the value of sharing the needs that, that each other has. So we, I think of it as that describing, we pretty much all think of the church as the body of Christ. The second picture is that of a building. And, the, and that of a building is Peter chose to describe the church in the context of a building. And I, I thought it was kind of unique that Peter, you know, thou art the, you know, whenever he's saying about Jesus, Thou art the Christ, and upon this, you know, uh, you know, you're the Son of the Living God. And, and Jesus tells the tells Peter that upon this truth I will build my church. And isn't it? It's kind of ironic that Peter would be the one who would identify the church as a building. And um, and he's, he chose to describe the church in the context 
of a building built on a foundation. And then he writes about this. And he was writing to the Jewish Christians and he told them, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. 1 Peter 2.5. So Peter writes about the church being living stones, being built on the, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Peter didn't have a, have a problem identifying Jesus as the foundation of the church. Um, and it says all, all of these stones in this structure are rightly related to each other in, the, in, this, in this spiritual temple, built as a unique dwelling place for God. So Peter writes about us being a building, a living stones fitly joined together. You know, I was watching um, one of those historical shows, you know, and I, sometimes you like them and sometimes you don't. But they were talking about, back in one of the cultures, that if you look at the stones, that the stones are, they don't know how they got there in the shape and the form that they did. And um, the uh, person who was giving the commentary on it said that these individuals had to have help uh, to create these uh, ancient structures they would have to have found a way to melt stone. <laughs> I mean, they'd have to have found a way to melt stone and put it in place, and how that they would have to, they would have to, as it were, harden in place in order for all these stones to come together in such a structure. So therefore, it was extraterrestrials. <laughs> so, I'll just tell you what was on the Discovery Channel. Well, Jesus had a different idea uh, when he was talking about living stones. And the living stones is that we are alive in Christ and that the Spirit of God being alive in us is that lively structure. And so we are fitted, fitly joined together. It's almost, you know, we don't know how those stones were placed there, but they were placed there in such a way that they almost had to be heated, moved, and cooled in place. Isn't it something how that the body of Christ, that Jesus has a way of molding each of us to fit into the specific place that he has for us. And you know what? It is our character, it is our personality that makes us who we are, and we find ourselves coming together to fit exactly as if we were made for that spot. The body of Christ. A building coming together. We fitly join together. You know, I, I remember um, whenever I was in Egypt and, you know, in the pyramids, that they have these stones that are bigger than tractor trailers and that you cannot put a piece of paper anywhere in the entire length, these stones setting upon each other, that you can't put a piece of paper between the stones anywhere in the entire length. And, you know, we don't have the technology today to do that. But we find that in the body of Christ that God has a way of bringing us together. And Peter calls it living stones. as a building put together by the hand of God. You and I being put together, brought together to worship God and being brought here for a purpose. And that is the tea bags and the water and it all comes together. So first is the body of Christ. The second, somebody has to keep track of these now. First one is what? Body. Second one is living stones. Okay, third, marriage. The third 
picture of the church, the community, is marriage. When Paul talked about Christians and their love relationship to God, he described it as a relationship between Christ and his church. It is that like likened as a marriage. And Peter, and excuse me, Paul described the relationship between husband and wives in the, to, in the context of a great mystery concerning Christ and his church, Ephesians 5.32. It's just as there is a great mystery concerning Christ and his church, he says that husbands are to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So there is this depiction of the church as, as in a relationship based upon love and sacrifice. Not upon love and obedience, but upon love and sacrifice. I know I often, you know, you hear this one verse and, you know, quoted that says, you know, women are to be subject to their husbands and so on. But it also says that, that, that she is to be subject to her husband as Christ as gave himself for the church. So that as obedience and sacrifice come together when we see that one is willing to die for the other. So when you're willing to die, it's easy to be obedient. When someone loves you so much that they will die for you, then you don't mind being obedient to them. And you don't mind listening to what they have to say. And so too the scriptures talk to us about this love relationship that God has with us, that he was willing to die for us. And so when God asks us to be obedient to him, it is an obedience based upon one who is willing to sacrifice everything for our life. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And who would imagine, I mean, why could we ever doubt that God would want us to do something that would be harmful to our lives and our relationship, our relationship with him and, and our relationship with life and with other people? The fourth picture. What was the third one? Just checking. The fourth picture is between a shepherd and a sheep. The church is the sheepfold. John the Baptist described Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus described himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. So he's looking at this, this analogy between, and, and we, don't, we don't understand the value of, of what we say here by shepherd and sheep. In, in ancient times, if you were the shepherd and something was attacking your sheep, it was your responsibility to protect them, even to die for those sheep. Because they were under your responsibility. You know, they were under your care. So therefore, under your care and your responsibility, a shepherd worthy of his name, shepherd, would die to protect his sheep. David, whenever he was a young boy watching the sheep, he took on the lion and the bear. Not because he needed target practice, but because it was his responsibility to keep the sheep. So the, the, the analogy in, in Psalm 23, what is it? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. So the analogy is the um, one of shepherd and sheep. So what's the first one? What's the second? A what? A building, yes, a building. The third one? Marriage. Fourth one? The fifth one is a picture that represents a church as a garden. The growing of plants and vines or trees. Jesus used the metaphor of a vine to describe his relationship to the individual Christian. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman. 
The emphasis is on abiding in a relationship between Christ and the believer. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So if you're not connected to where the source of your life is, that you're just a vine that will wither and die because it's not connected to the life. The sixth picture is a picture of the family. Believers are called children, sons of God. Jesus described the experience of becoming a Christian in the context of being born again, born into the family of God. John 1.12 says, As many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to share um, to those who believe in his name. We are called children of God. So when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven. So whenever we are looking at this, the idea becomes that there's a picture of a family. The first one is the body. The second one is the building. The third one is marriage. Fourth, shepherd and sheep. Five, huh? garden. Sixth, family. And the seventh is a priesthood. Peter was introducing people to a, of a Jewish background to Christianity. He, betray, he portrays the church as a priesthood, the working together in the service of God. He describes Christians as a holy priesthood. He described Christians, you and I, as a holy priesthood. First, that's 1 Peter 2.5 and 1 Peter 2.9 is a royal priesthood. The early church viewed every believer as a priest with direct access to God. See, when Jesus came and died, they tore the veil in the, in the old temp, in the temple that, was, that existed at the time, the veil that separated the people from God, Jesus tore that. And in that old system, the priest represented the people to God. But Jesus Christ set up believers to have direct access to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> so Jesus himself holds the office as the high priest, and all other believers were viewed then as a kingdom of priests, Revelation 1.6. So most evangelical Christians then describe the doctrine as the priesthood of believers that we are to offer our life as a living sacrifice to God. We are to offer up a sacrifice of praise. So we then are priests, as it were, to offer our life as a sacrifice and as in a relationship with God. So as believers then, priesthood of believers, is that we as believers work together as a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, to bring our sacrifice of praise and worship to God. So the church then is designed to be a place of interactive relationships, helping believers to experience God. So we're not setting one up as greater than the other. We are recognizing that 
Sometimes members of our body have problems and difficulties. Sometimes we falter, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we have great strength, sometimes we have great purpose. But we all recognize that we are part of the body of Christ, which is recognized as the church, which is the body, which is the building, which is marriage, which is shepherd and sheep, which is a garden, which is family, which is a priesthood. The story that I have today that I wanted to relate to or came out, well, it was Rosa, Rosa Parks. Anybody know who Rosa Parks is? Rosa Parks? Yeah, a few of you know Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, Rose Rosa, R-O-S-A, Parks, sent a message about racial segregation when she boarded a bus in Montgomery, Alabama in December 1955. Now, for some of you, December 1955, that is really old history. <laughs> for some of us, we were just kids. And some of you were old back in 55. <laughs> But anyhow, in 1955, there was the, uh, what was called segregation. And Rosa Parks, and, and, and you know, maybe some of you are familiar with this or not, but in that time, it was the buses, the public transportation. The first 10 seats of a bus, 10 rows of a bus, were for white passengers. And then from, 11, from the 11th row back were for black. And so if you were black and uh, you were in a bus, you had to sit, you had to sit at row 11 back. Well, this day that Rosa Parks was here, she was uh, in this bus, she was at row 11. Well, what happened was the first 10 rows became full. And so the bus driver announced that the first 10 rows were full. Uh, row 11, I was going to say verse 11. Row 11 had to vacate and move back. Now, you couldn't just one... Uh, Aisle, part of the aisle couldn't just two people couldn't just get up and move the back. All four had to get up because one person needed to sit in row 11 because it was illegal to sit with a black person or across from a black person. So three of the four people in row 11 got up except Rosa Parks. She, she just didn't get up. Well, because she didn't get up, the bus driver stopped the bus, called the police, and had her arrested because she was breaking the civil, civil rights laws. Of, of Alabama. And so she was arrested for not getting out of her seat, which of course then brought about the um, segregation law that changed in December 1956 with the Supreme Court that outlawed racial segregation on public transportation. Now, I, I bring this up because Rosa Parks said, I simply wanted people to treat me with respect and basic human dignity. She wasn't making a statement to change the racial laws of Alabama. She was just making a statement that was for that moment in time. But yet it reflected on all of the segregation in the, in the whole state. And, and I ask ourselves the same kind of the same question. We have a tea bag here in this bowl of water. And when it makes a statement, it represents the whole bag. It represents the whole pot, as it were, of tea. Because it is part of, of, of 
of the mix. And whenever we think of our lives as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ, as the building of Christ, as the sheep and the shepherd, as, as we think of ourselves, we are connected to one another. And we have a direct impact on one another. And we have an impact so influential that we can do little things in the right way and it can change what happens across the board. Just saying, I need to have prayer for me or for Jenny or for someone else. It has an impact upon our lives and upon the people around us. This is the body of Christ. And whenever we have this relationship with God and this relationship with others, we begin to value how great we are and how important it is for God to touch our lives and to touch the lives of those around us. And sometimes it seems just a rather simple thing. <laughs> Teabag in a bowl of water seems like a very simple thing. But yet, when God touches your life, answers your prayer, has a certain way of affecting everyone in the body. And you are part of that body that has a change because of someone else in the body.